Okay. Uh, question gets asked, what is the biblical area that believers practically get most confused about? And without question, it's law. Without question. So let's try to sort it through. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's just begin there. We're going to read verses 14 through 18. Paul is describing uh, this new version of the people of God in, in the new covenant era. He says in verse 14, For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, that is peace between Jew and Gentile. Because remember, remember when Peter in the book of Acts, he, he needs a vision from God. You know, all the, the unclean animals coming down in the vision to, remind, to tell him that it's okay to go visit the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. He needed this vision just to go to his house. And so there is no way you can construct the old covenant with Israel to say they are sent out to the world. Because sometimes you, there are admissions, courses about, you know, the Great Commission, that there is a Great Commission in the, in the Old Covenant era. And you go, not in mine. But he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, that is, that which keeps them apart, but the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law, with its commands and regulations. Because he's going to make a, a new people. Okay, now, if the critique of covenant theology on this one is that he's only talking about, you know how they divide up the Mosaic law into moral, civil, ceremonial laws. And they will say, in effect, that the civil and ceremonial laws, those fulfilled in Christ, the moral law summarized by the Ten Commandments continues, basically. That's, that's the standard. And we will, for argument's sake, I suppose that's a possibility, but we will just show that that's not possible down the road. First off, because the, the description of the Mosaic Law never divides it up. Amen. Never. Whether it's in the Old Covenant, the giving of it, or... The way it's, be, it ha, it's handled in the new. It's never divided up. It's just the law. Just the law. And the probably one of the clearest examples of that, this is a little bit, go back into Levit, Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19 is a grocery list of Mosaic laws. And when you go through the list, it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of everything. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll deal with issues that we think are really basic, moral laws. Do not turn aside to idols at verse 4 or make metal gods for yourself. I am the Lord. Well, that's pretty basic. No idol worship. But of course, then you have, uh, pick it up, where was I going? Oh, yes. Uh, verse 27, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head, or clip off the edges of your beard. Ah, oh, there's the one, verse 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead, or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. I got in trouble. I was t teaching at a Romanian Baptist church west of Vienna, right on the Danube, very pretty area. And I was talking about law. I was there for the weekend. 
and I was answering questions. I was not aware how serious the divisions were in the church. And the, the church is divided up between older folks and younger folks. The older folks are bankrolling the church, but they're re- re- rather legalistic. So you wonder how many believers are in that group. The younger folks seem to be the real believers, young, young families, couples, and, uh, but they don't have the money. And so the question was raised. I'm working through law and then uh, taking questions. And there's the question, what about tattoos? And, uh, you know, I, I just go through my normal routine. Tattoos belong to the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law comes to an end with the Old Covenant. That law is no longer brought over. As long as you do it for the right reason to glorify God, God doesn't care. And, of course, among the older folks, this is how they reason in that group why I will never be invited back there again, is that if you have a tattoo today, you're going to be immoral tomorrow, homosexual next day, and, you know, you will leave the faith the following day. You know, and... Yeah. You know, the pastor... The pastor is trying to keep these two groups together, which is another problem. He's a really nice guy, but that was a problem. I remember he had his two adult sons. They, they loved it, but not getting invited back, even though they, he offered very good strudel, very good strudel there in Austria. But that's the way it goes. So you have these, all these laws are just mixed. It's not like, you know, some you would say this is basic. Some you say, well, this seems a little strange. What we call holiness laws, you know, that don't, Wear a, a, a clothing with mixed threads. You know, like, um, you know, you can't do that. That, that, that would be sin. That would be sin. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. So, the, in Ephesians 2, it just describes that it is, in effect, it is the Mosaic law that will keep the... Uh, that, that will not allow for what God wants to do this side of Pentecost. It won't allow for it. So it has to be abolished. That's the bottom line. It has to be abolished. And it's because and he wants to create a new version of the people of God. Okay? And then you would say, if you went from there, you would jump over to Hebrews chapter 7, where it, it, the discussion has to do with priesthood. You know, the Old Covenant, it's the Aaronic priesthood. You know, the tribe of Levi, family of Aaron, the males, 30, 50 years old. You fit those parameters. By definition, you're a priest. End of discussion. End of discussion. Whereas Hebrews 7, verse 12, says, For when the priesthood is changed, which we go from the Levitical priesthood to the to the or the Aaronic priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus, that act, this is a priesthood that actually does something, not just a picture. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. It has to be a change of the law. Because the Mosaic law will not allow for a new version of the priesthood, just like it won't allow for a new version of the people of God. So it has to be, has to be abolished. That's the idea. And... The coup de grace of that would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
where in the context, Paul is talking about his evangelistic strategy. Yeah, he just reveals it. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21. Paul says this, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Then he repeats it, to those under the law, that is Mosaic law, I become like one under the Mosaic, under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I'm not under it. So he's obviously, when he's going to share his faith with a Jewish person, let's say who they still believe dietary laws are still in effect, he's not going to take him to the local barbecue joint and have pulled pork, as good as it may be. He's not going to do that. He's going to go to some place that, you know, doesn't upset them because he wants to share the gospel. So he'll limit his freedom for their benefit to share the gospel. That's kind of a simple thing. And then he says this in verse 21, to those not having the law, that is the Mosaic law, that would be the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. So, you know, here we go to the barbecue place. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. I'm not under that version of the law, but I'm not without law. I am under Christ's law. So, and of course, this assumes that we have a correct understanding of sin, which is breaking the law. Breaking the law. You know, remember where we would go is 1 John 3, 4 for the basic definition of sin. Sin is breaking the law. Sin is lawlessness. That's what sin is. So by definition, if there is no law, there cannot be any sin. That's true. That's, that is brought up in Romans 5 on a discussion about original sin. But that's not our purpose. But that's the argument in verse 12 and 13. That, you know, how, if, if death is the result of sin and sin is the breaking of the law, how can there be death, death if there's no law? Because if there's no law, there could be no sin. If there's no sin, there could be no death. But people are dying. So that's the, that's the discussion for another day. Okay? Questions so far? Okay. So this, this is the sort of the basic stuff as to that each, the old covenant has a version of law attached to it. The new covenant era has a version of law attached to it. Now, the version of law attached to the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments, are only for Israelites. They're only for them. You say, well, what about the Gentiles? How do they know they need a Savior? Because you you cannot need a Savior if you're not a lawbreaker. Because that's sin. Well, if if they're not under the Mosaic Law, what law are they under? Well, that's where, if you went to Romans chapter 2... Verses 14 and 15, they discuss that. There's a little controversy about it, but they discuss it. Because uh, this is in the context of showing why everybody needs a Savior. Everybody. Because if you go to the end of 3, it says... Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. That means the whole world 
is under law, in, at least in some sense. has to be. It's easy. To, we've got the Jews figured out. They're under the Mosaic law. Well, verses 14 and 15, it talks about the conscience. It says, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, that is the Mosaic law, they are a law for themselves. Well, how are they a law for themselves? Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness to their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's hearts, secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. When we're made in the image of God, that we, we have this sense of right and wrong. We have a sense of righteousness. We do. Now, it, sin mars it, but it's still there to some degree. Everybody has some sense of right and wrong. Some sense. And enough that you cannot live up to it, therefore you're guilty, and therefore... You're a lawbreaker. That's the law of the conscience. That's the idea. Now, covenant theology would say that the conscience is the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Sounds reasonable, at least to some degree, except for the Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath Commandment. Are we saying that everyone intuitively knows that seventh day is a holy day? I don't think so. I don't think so. Israel didn't even know. Israel did, did not even know. And we're going to look at that when we talk about, we're going to take a case study of days, because that's a good, good one for law. Case study of days. Holy days. We'll look at that. You should. Yes. The law of the conscience, yes. Right. There's yes. No distinguishing between law of the conscience and moral law. Okay, I would say that moral law is an unbiblical category. Then I would say all it is is which version of law are you under? That's all I'm interested in. We're under the law of Christ. Then it's questions, how do you find the law of Christ? Okay, and so we, we can show where you find the law of Christ. Just like David was under the Mosaic law. And presumably the law of Christ. No, nope, nope. He was under the Mosaic law, and he was a believer, a man after God's own heart. So the way he showed his love for God is to keep the commands. He just happened to be under the Mosaic law. He had to keep those commands. He had to be a Sabbath keeper, a tither. Yep. That's what Jesus was. Because he came in the Old Covenant era under the Mosaic law. You you have such a skeptical look that you're giving me. Non-Jews are bound by the law of Christ, right? Aren't all people bound by the law of God? Yes. Now, that, okay, that's a disputed point. Because, no, I would say so, but people question that. They say, isn't the law of Christ just for believers? And the answer, I would say, no. Then say, prove it. Say, ah, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You've got to be able to prove it. It's a good, it's a good question, because just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. And I'll show you my trick to handling this passage you have your theological dancing shoes on okay he's talking about teachers of the law that's verse 7 but now beginning in verse 8 we know that the law is good well all law is good i mean that's not controversial if one uses it properly we also know that law is made not for the righteous this is interesting 
but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, but for murderers, murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. Okay, now that's a grocery list. He's describing an unbeliever but not as a way of life. I mean, we all do evil things, but not as, as a believer, not as a way of life. Because we repent. The Holy Spirit convicts us, you know, and we turn from our sin. He's describing unbelievers where sin is a way of life. Uh, now what he says, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, the reason that last passage is so critical, because that's establishing the time frame when this is true. And it's Paul's ministry, which is the New Covenant era. means he's talking about the law of Christ. Paul's ministry was not in the Old Covenant era under the Mosaic Law. Though you could say the same, you know, say same thing in the Old Covenant era. You could say the same thing. But Paul, by that very end, he's tying this to the New Covenant era, his ministry. Ah, now the problem, this is the second problem you've got to deal with, is he says that the law is, is for unbelievers. Well, okay, now this is where I think it's helpful to step back a second and get a bigger picture of things. The Old Covenant era, because Israel is an unbelieving picture, law is primary. Why? Because the covenant is legal and works, that's true, but... Israel is, the old covenant is law with unbelievers, because Israel is unbelieving. Okay, so that's, that's the emphasis of the old covenant, because Israel is unbelieving. Whereas in the new covenant era, the, new, the law is not primary. Why? Because the primary emphasis is believers in your New Testament. What is primary for believers? It's not law, it's the work of the Spirit in your life. That's what motivates you. Now, law then becomes secondary. The way you show your love for God is keep his commandments. Okay, so it has a role, but it's purely secondary because that's not what transforms us. Yes? I was going to mention in in John 16 when Jesus is talking about the Spirit coming. He says that he'll uh, convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they did not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit in the world today is not convicting the world for them not obeying the Ten Commandments that they're believing in Jesus. That's the, the conviction is further proving that, the, that they're not under, really what they're under is the law of their belief and what. Well, I, they are convicted. You know, when we share our faith with somebody, uh, we, you know, Jesus is the Savior and Lord, but we have to show them why they need a Savior. I mean, and if you're not aware of your sin, you don't need a Savior. So we show them. Now, what is it, Ray Comfort um, from California, who's a wonderful guy. And, you know, he, he's a street evangelist, and he, he does a wonderful job. Unfortunately, he, the way he shows that you're a sinner is that you violate Ten Commandments. Ah, that is a problem. Because that's where we, we move next, is that the Ten Commandments are a summary of the requirements of the Old Covenant. A works covenant. Whoa. So turn to Second Corinthians chapter three. Yes. Stay one more second on First Timothy. Yeah, 
Oh, man. I just think it's just by observations. Uh, Verse 7, the bad guys desire to be teachers of the law. That's not the law of Christ. Oh, well, that would, that, the whole point is that they were false teachers in the church. And he's just explaining, I mean, the framework that I guess I, I would fall back, is I, I hear, hear what you say, but that's because when we hear law, we typically think of Mosaic law. We do. Which I think we ought to. But not in this context, because the time frame... And that forces you out of it because the 1 Corinthians 9 or Ephesians 2 says that the Mosaic law is abolished. We're not under that law. So it can't be referring to that because Mosaic law has no authority over unbelievers. I agree with. Over unbelievers. But also the examples of law, you know, I mean, obviously follow the second half of the Ten Commandments. Oh, no, no, that is... Now that no, that's all fair. That that is true. That is true. So let's explore the Ten Commandments and then come back to this because that's a fair a fair criticism. Second uh, Corinthians three, the context of Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is being uh, harassed by false apostles. That's really the whole letter, and we'll pick it up. Well, st- start at verse one, and we'll just highlight the points. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation for you or from you, to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, two things. First, if you're like me, when I be first became a believer, of course, this is in the context more of a dispensational understanding of things. Um, I, I was taught that the be- believers in Corinth were carnal Christians, that they had their sins forgiven, but they had no fruit. You know, nothing more despicable than the Corinthian believers. That's not Paul's. No, there's obviously problems in the church. That's first in first Corinthians. No one's disputing that. But Paul's argument is the changed life of the Corinthian believers is the proof that his ministry is of the Lord because his ministry is the new covenant, the cross. And he says the, the changed lives. So you need to adjust our Corinthian evaluation a bit. And problems, yes. No fruit, no. That's not true. No, 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 no. Otherwise, Paul's argument is all wrong. He's basing everything on, guys, the cross has transforms lives. Look at these people. Questions about that? Well, I had to tell them to quit going to prostitutes. <laughs> but that doesn't change. But once again, his argument is his argument. Now, it's in 2 Corinthians. We know the problems in 1 Corinthians, but his argument is still his argument. However, could not 1 Corinthians have been a correction to this? That's, that's, all, that's all possible. We, the, the fair, that, that's fair. But let's at least recognize Paul's argument. You know, he's basing it all on their changed lives in his battle with false apostles. Okay, then he goes on. 
Now, of course, he's comparing, contrasting. This is what we find in, in the New Covenant era. He's comparing, contrasting Old Covenant, New Covenant. New Covenant, the cross, work of the Spirit. You get forgiveness of sins and a new heart. The, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the New Covenant. But, he said, but the idea, but the Old Covenant, tablets of stone. When you hear tablets of stone, what do you think of? Ten Commandments. Sure, that's just a, just a phrase that describes it. Well, they're tablets of the covenant, Exodus 34. The tablets of the covenant. They, they were placed first beside the Ark of the Covenant. We know the Ark of the Covenant because we've seen Indiana Jones. Come on, we all know that. And so they're first put beside the Ark, then they end up in the Ark of the Covenant. The concept being that you cannot go into God's presence, which is the Ark of the Covenant, throne room of the throne seat of God, uh, without being perfect. Because the Old Covenant demands perfection. And Ten Commandments, this is what you've got to obey. It's a summary. That's why it's called the Tablets of the Covenant. It's a summary of the requirements of the Old Covenant. It assumes the rest, all the rest of the Mosaic Law. This is just this is the shorthand. That's it. So he's comparing and contrasting. New covenant produces changed life. Old covenant, yet, no. Ten commandments doesn't change life. So he's putting the ten commandments as the ten. He's tying it to the old covenant. He's tying it. The ten commandments. Oh, practical implications for this. You know, you're a politician you want to affect your community, you know, court building, put the Ten Commandments on the wall. Problem is you're, you're, you are giving a false picture of what God requires of you. That's not how he describes what he requires of you from Pentecost to the second coming. It's not. So if we go on, He says, verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Old covenant letter, new covenant spirit. For the letter kills, Ten Commandments is going to kill you if it's a summary of a works covenant that demands perfection. It's going to kill you. But the Spirit gives life, that's the cross, the new covenant. The Lord grants you faith and transforms you. He gives you life. Now, verse 7, it describes the ministry of the Ten Commandments. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, Ten Commandments, came with glory, which it did, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, glory trans, transitory though it was. He put a bag over his head. He was Because remember when he came back from God, he was glowing. And he kept the bag over until the glowing went away. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? The ministry of the Ten Commandments is called a ministry of death. Which is only makes sense if it's tied to the Old Covenant which says you have to obey perfectly or God curses you. So verse nine, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, 
how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Uh, the ministry that brought condemnation. That's Ten Commandments, which is, a, which is a shorthand for the Old Covenant, a works covenant. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Old Covenant to New Covenant. And if what was transitory came with glory, the Old Covenant, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? It's eternal, the New Covenant, the work of Christ on the cross. Therefore, we, are, we have such a hope. We are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, the glowing. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ it is taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Okay, now what's he say? He goes from a literal veil that Moses put over his face while the glowing was going away to the veil now, to the veil over the heart. Israel, so that signified Israel's unbelief. Veil over the heart. And now, now it's generic unbelief. The only way that veil gets removed, unbelief, is through the work of the Spirit when you believe the gospel message. That's it. So he, he kind of works his way through. And then he ends. But whenever, any, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, believers, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just the new covenant, the cross, the transforming work of it, unlike those who, where the veil covers their hearts. Israel, under the old covenant. So the Ten Commandments are a summary of, of the requirements of the Old Covenant. That's why as the ten, now as the ten, they're not for today. Not as the ten. Now it is true, nine of the ten in one form or another are brought over into the law of Christ. Brought over. So let's take just an example of that. Turn to Romans 12. Here, there's a couple of different places you can go. This would just be one. And go to verses 8 through 10 of Romans 12. Or excuse me, yes. No, 13, I'm sorry. I misled you. 13. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit mur- adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. If And whatever else... Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now, when he says, he quotes what we would call the second table of the law, Ten Commandments. People say, ah, that means the Ten Commandments are still in effect. No, it doesn't mean that. It means these commands of the Ten Commandments are still in effect. 
it means these are. But as the ten, that's already been dealt with in 2 Corinthians 3. Nope. As the ten, that's referring to a summary of the requirements of the works covenant, the old covenant. Okay, so the teaching passages about the Ten Commandments, this side of Pentecost, about the Ten Commandments are negative, not positive. Okay? Questions about that? Yes? Well, he says that the spiritual purpose of the law was to show the Jews their sins. It doesn't make the whole world count to God. So why couldn't that have some collateral damage there where you do what the Australian guy does and you use the law of Moses to show Gentiles their sin. Why is that such a terrible thing? Because that version of God's law is now gone. has no authority. The example would be if uh, I've driven with you. He's a wild driver. Yes. Yes. And, yes. yes. and so say he gets pulled over. I'm sure that's hypothetical. That would never happen. But he, but he pulls him over, and, and the policeman comes up, and he goes, Mr. Atkerson, I am giving you a ticket for you violating British traffic laws. Now, we all agree that basically traffic laws are pretty similar between Britain and the U.S. And they're going to pull him over for violating British traffic laws. Okay, now Steve says, I, I'm not fighting this. I, I, I understand. I, I was going too fast further conditions. I got that. But I'd like to point out that that law has no authority over me, which is true. Now, if you're, if you're giving me a ticket for breaking American law or Georgian law or whatever, that's a different ballgame. I'm dead meat. You give, give me the ticket. Well, that's the same way to try to say unbelievers are in some sense run the Mosaic law. And that's where if you go to Ephesians 6, this is where the illustration is. This is like for parenting. If you have a precocious, sharp, unbelieving child. Okay, I'm sure that they're around. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the fifth com- first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fifth commandment. So let's say you have, you have a son and he is lying and you're addressing, he's disobeying, let's just say he's disobeying you, whatever it is, he's disobeying you. So you set him down and you, and you explain to him, son, you are violating the fifth commandment. Son being, at least he listens on Sunday morning just to Steve, and he goes, Dad, I'm not disputing the fact that I'm, I disobeyed you, but I like to point out, I am not under that law. That law is for Israel under the old covenant. I'm not under that law. That law has no authority over me. He's absolutely correct. Now, if the dad was well-grounded, he should have changed his tactics. And he says, son, you are so right. But that law has been brought over into the law of Christ. And that's the version of God's law for the new covenant era. And, you, and that law is your authority. And you are guilty. You are dead meat. And that's why the Ray Comfort, though his intentions are honorable, is that that would be the wrong way to show someone that they're guilty. Not, the right way is to break the law of Christ. Yeah, oh, okay. that, that's just his shtick. That's what he uses. And because he, he wants to show people, which is true, that you, you have to be guilty to need a savior. 
You've got to be a lawbreaker to need a savior. Well, that's how he shows you're a lawbreaker. So if he used the nine. Yes, in, not but not as the ten, but not as the ten. Agreed. Right. And, then he'd be fine. Understood. He'd be fine. In defense of Brother Comfort. Uh, he has a great accent. That's also true. When I observe him, he's never, he's never quoting number four. Well, that's not the point, but it's he's not calling the... the sinfulness of the, the conversational partner on the grounds of the nine that at least you would affirm. Right. The, problem, the only problem is, and these are guys that have, that have been trained by him. Amen. The guys have been trained by him that it is the Ten Commandments as the Ten. He would hold to that. Yeah, yeah, he would. I mean, he's a great guy, but he yeah. would do that. And we think that's where... You know, I'm not under that version of law. You know, there, we'll talk about this tomorrow a little bit. But someone says, Jesus died. He, Jesus obeyed the law that I was under. My answer is, no, he didn't. I was never under the Mosaic law. Surely you think Christ obeyed the law of Christ? No. You don't think Christ was the righteous requirement of the law? No, he, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law he was under. No, he was example. No, there's just it's different. So example, it has differing. There's no such thing as um, holiness. The law of Christ. There's no such thing as holiness laws. There's no such thing as Sabbath laws. There's no such thing as tithing. There's no such thing as uh, dietary laws. There's all sorts of things that he would tell his disciples. You got to do this. So when he healed somebody. He did tell times, go to the Jewish leaders and fulfill the requirements of the Mosaic law, okay, for becoming ritually clean, purified. Well, that's not true in the new under the law of Christ. That is not true. You can apply that in respect to imputation. Okay. Tomorrow morning. So, um, are you saying unbelievers today are under the law of Christ? Yes. Because of First Timothy chapter one, because that, that says the law is primarily for unbelievers, because it is primary for unbelievers. Yes, law is. Also talk about but law but. Well, well, no, that's also true. I would say to the unbelievers, because they're not going to care whether. Well, but it just all depends on they would say, you what know, you, know, you know, what you know, what you know. If you if you grew up in, let's say, you grew up in a Christian household, you're not a believer, but you're. You were around, you know, biblical stuff, or you went to church. You would, be, you would understand a certain amount of law of Christ. You would know that. Well, you would probably know the Ten Commandments more than you would the law. Of well, it all depends what kind of church you're in. Right, right, right. Not in our church. Not in ours. Uh, Steve goes over them every Sunday. I know. We re- <laughs> you stand up and recite them. I got that. I knew that. I knew that. Yes. This may be getting south direct there, but yeah, just. Oh, we never do that. No, no, no. But I think it's interesting when Paul in Acts 17. Preaching to the Gentiles, he did not bring up the Ten Commandments no. at all. No. He said you were created to seek after God. That's true. You haven't done that. He's winked at it until now, but you are going to be judged, but then he brings it back to Christ. You're going to be judged based on that one. It's a good point. V- very good point. That's true. Yes. So that means, since the law of Moses was made obsolete, that an unbelieving Jew is not under the law of Moses either. Right. He just thinks it. Yes. Is he under the law of Christ? Yes. But he doesn't know it. All folk of all time are under the law of Christ with the exception of Christ. Yes. Well, no. Christ, 
Yeah, he can't. He can't. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, in the new covenant era, Pentecost forward. Yes, we're under. Everybody's under the law of Christ. Is is ignorance? Does ignorance get you off the hook with regard to law? No. Now we also, but as just pointed out, they also have the law of the conscience. People who have never heard of anything in the Bible. That's also true. So you're guilty no matter which way you look. But, example, if you someone says, I'm not a sinner, okay, and you're sharing your gospel with them, you say, well, have you given thanks to the Lord for just the first hour of this day? No. Well, you're just, you begin, let's multiply this times 12 each day, times how many a week, a month. You're just heaping the wrath of God on your head for this just one. Yeah. In that sense, Ray Comfort does gets to that point. He does get to that point, showing you're in, a, in an impossible situation with God. Pre-Christ, it's the law of Christ in effect? No. So when the minor prophets bring judgment against nations that are not under the Sinaitic Yeah, right. On what grounds are they bringing judgment? Law of conscience. Which is distinct from the law of Christ. No, it's just a different... The law of conscience... Unless you're covenant theology, because covenant theology would describe the law of conscience as the Ten Commandments that you intuitively know. Yeah. Right. And no, it's, I would say, no, I don't agree with that. It's a sense of right and wrong that everybody has that you cannot live up to. Now, you, your, your version of it may be different than mine. Right. But everybody has some sense of right and wrong that you cannot live up to that makes you guilty. And that's why the ending of Romans 3, where it says the whole world is held accountable to God because they're lawbreakers. You go, well, he's already explained how the Gentiles could be lawbreakers because they don't have the Mosaic law. In the case of those pre-Christ non-Jews who are, are guilty in the law of conscience, are they free with regard to the law of Christ or are they also held? No, the law of Christ, you would see that is a category that doesn't even exist till Pentecost. When they stand before God in judgment. Just for a law of the conscience. Thank you, brother. Uh-huh. So Romans 1 speaks to the conscience and what is clear about God. Yeah. So not honoring God as God, not giving thanks, those two are listed. And the suppression, I take it, Yes, that's right. That you know God exists. Core, core yeah. Dishonoring God as God. And you know some things deserve death. You know some things do. You do. Right, so it's because of your made in the image of God, so the knowledge of God in creation condemns you, and your sense of right and wrong condemns you. That's why, just in psychology, guilt is a huge thing that drives people. Because they are guilty. They are guilty, and they're trying to remove guilt. Amazing how Jordan Peterson, at times, comes awfully, awfully close to saying that oh. he gets depravity real bad, has no yeah. But he, goes, oh, he doesn't even actually get depravity, right? But he's circling all the way around. Yes, he does. It, and sometimes it's brilliant. Oh, he, there. No, he is a remar- remarkable guy. He really is. It's amazing to listen to him. Okay, uh, so that's law. Questions you have about that, that draw this to a close. Because that's really, I've shot my wad about what, you know. You have to, you have to swallow the Kool-Aid on... Mosaic law is abolished. 
that there isn't three, that the Mosaic law is not divided up into three moral civil ceremonies. The Bible never does that. If you were summarizing the law of Christ, you would go to John 13, 34, 35. This would be like the equivalent to the Ten Commandments of the Old Covenant, where Jesus, talking to his disciples, says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That would be the summary of the law of Christ. So you would put the Sermon on the Mount in the Old Covenant? Oh, that's a good point. I would put the Sermon on the Mount sort of as a sort of a, a, a commercial. How about that? A commercial for what it's like to be in the spiritual kingdom. He's talking to people who are not in that. He's telling them, in effect, he's describing the new heart. Describing the new heart. His audience is in the physical picture of the kingdom. He's describing the new heart, of which most all of them don't have. So when Jesus gives the great commission, and he says, go into the world, preach the gospel, uh, you know, and, and, and tell them to obey all that I, or teaching them all, to obey all that I have commanded. Yeah, it's the law of Christ. But it's, it wouldn't include everything that Jesus taught. No, no, because in all fairness, you, you know, the, uh, what, what is, help me with that, it's, it's an age thing. Uh, the, uh, it's an old book about what would Jesus do? What's the name of the book? It, it, in, his steps. in his steps. Yeah, it's actually written by a liberal, by the way. People don't know that. It's written by a guy who's a liberal. But, Charles Sheldon. Yeah, Charles Sheldon. And people talk in terms of, you know, his point is this, is this church is revitalized because before you do anything, you ask the question, what would Jesus do? And the answer is no, it's what would Jesus have me to do? But that goes poorly on jewelry, it's a marketing disaster. Uh, so you don't want to go that direction. But that's what we're saying. That's what we say. Because Jesus does things that we cannot do. He has unique role as the Messiah. In, you know, and we only do some things that he did. Some things. He did love. And, he, and we're supposed to focus on that. But other, some things he, he could read minds. And then condemn people's motives. I, sometimes I think I, your motive is bad, but I can't prove it unless you say something. So I can't act on it. Uh, but he could just, Jesus knew everything, so he could just say, you got a bad motive, and I'm, you're, going to, you're a child of hell. You know, oh, I, there are times I want to say that. That is true, but I can't. Anything else? So that's the Sermon on the Mount, which is, it's the new, it is an unveiling. What's it like for someone who is in, the spiritual kingdom, a real, a real believer, and he's describing the new heart. You know, that's the idea. Yes? One final thought that I have is just from the heart of a pastor is that um, it, is, it is so important. You know, people look to their shepherds to help, help them understand what it is that God desires for them in this new covenant for them to live and how it's so important for us to teach them the right things and not add to it. I mean, I've been a part of a lot of churches where people um, are, are put under laws and regulations that are just not scriptural, and they're, they're just overwhelmed with guilt and shame over 
things they, they wear that are, or, you know, whatever the made-up thing is, <laughs> and just how important it is just to be clear, yeah. this is what Jesus thinks. This, the simplicity of Christ is what I look to, what that means. But just this is what yeah. Jesus desired. Don't be deceived. He wants you to follow him in this way. Yeah. And, and really to sum it up in the one word that you've already shared, is just he wants you to love. Right. Love him and love people. You're right. You'll be well on your way to living the life God wants Yeah, uh, I've, had some, I've had experience with that, of legalism. Eastern Europe is a big problem among Baptist churches. Uh, and legalism is deadly. Uh, it slanders God because it falsely attributes things to him that are just not true. Um, but uh, story... A story. I was. Uh, I've done this twice: Eastern United States and Western United States. Ro- the Romanian Baptist National Youth Organization has had me speak in both instances. I will never be asked back again. But it wasn't their fault. They're good. It was the pastors. I was in Hickory, North Carolina. It was a Eastern United States Youth Missions Conference, and I, I worked it out with mission leaders, and they were great guys. We worked out topics and everything. And unfortunately, the, the host church, the host church was very, very Arminian, very legalistic, very Arminian. But the, the pastor had no control over the content. So I, I'm doing my thing. And I even remember, you know, I thought I was trying to be sensitive with the youth, what I dressed. So I, I wore like a knit top with khaki pants, you know, and so and I did Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. Now Sunday morning, the last night. And it's all the service, but the conference controls it. And I show up, you know, I get a clean shirt, show up. And the pastor looks at me and he, and, uh, he goes, where's your coat? Well, well, if, if the youth leaders had told, national youth leaders had told me I need to wear a coat, I would have worn a coat. It's not a problem. I don't bring a, bring a coat. And yeah. <laughs> now you got to understand, I'm observing something while this is going on. I'm sitting in the pew behind the pastor, and he, uh, he's obviously not happy with me. And the worship leader had a coat and no tie. He wanted a coat. The pastor wanted a coat and tie. He had a coat and no tie. And then the guy who was leading the service in general had a tie with no coat. And so I've observed this. And then the pastor, of course, he has a coat and tie on. And he's explaining, well, no, you've you got to have this. And, of course, I made the mistake of asking where in Scripture would you point that out to me. That didn't go very well. So he ended up borrowing a, a, a sport coat, probably two sizes too big, such I had to roll up sleeves when I went up to teach. Um, and I had to teach. Oh, it was humbling for me. So the Lord thought that I needed that. But, um, yeah, so... But whenever I'm in Eastern Europe, I take every opportunity that comes my way to speak against legalism. I do. Because it's so deadly. It is just deadly. And um, it started I, I, out with the right. Oh, sure. I mean, it's, it's like the, the uh, Pharisees and the Talmud, and they, would, you know, they were trying to put these boundaries on the law because the law was not real, it wasn't real clear. So they said, well... You know, what is work? So they come up with all these things you can't do. It becomes legalism. And it's the same thing, like, with, with dr- the way we dress. I mean, Christians should be modest. And what we need to preach 
is modesty. And then you leave it up to the spirit to, to lead them as to what they should wear. You don't have to say, you don't wear this, you do wear this. Well, because, yes, I, I would agree with you. I, I would say that legalism, it starts out by barriers to sin. The problem is that's not how God controls sin. He controls it with a new heart. And if you don't have a new heart, your problem is not uh, a particular sin. You're a son of the wrath of God, and you, you need a Savior. So it's just, it opens the door for false professions. What? Christians do need instruction. Oh, sure. It, what it means to have that new heart. Well, absolutely true. I, 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 agree, I agree wholeheartedly. But typically... Is you're talking about evangelical churches that have a fairly high percentage of false professions. And that's why legalism works. It keeps them in line. Fear is a great motivator. Keeps them in line. It's just not the way God keeps people in line. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship. Reforming Today's Church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.